0: Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I hope you're having a great day so far. I'm glad that is Tuesday. I love Tuesdays. I always get to start with Rob Bluey. And after that, Mary Chung March will be joining me. She's going to talk about anti Asian hatred, racism, and violence. That's going to be a very interesting uh, chance to talk to her. And then, hour two is one full hour with Dr. David Lamb. We're going to talk about the book of judges today. So get ready for that. That's going to be uh, fascinating for me as well. I hope you're going to stick with me all two hours. Uh, If you you don't, well, you can always listen to the podcast, and I encourage you to do so at myfaithradio.com. All right. Rob Louie, of course, is my Washington, D.C. correspondent. He's my go-to guy to find out what's going on in the nation's capital. He's also the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be with you today. Thank you so much. All right, I'm already thinking about the Supreme Court, and there's this Dobbs versus the Jackson Women's Health Organization. Do say more about that.
1: Well, certainly, Bill. This was a big decision on the part of the Supreme Court to hear this case. It comes out of Mississippi, and it challenges the constitutionality of Mississippi's law, which prohibits abortion abortions after 15 weeks, except in cases of medical emergencies or when a severe fetal abnormality is detected. So what does this mean? Well, it strikes directly at uh, at the heart of Roe v. Wade, which is, uh, you know, nearly 49 years ago now, the, the case wow. that really uh, set us on this path that, uh, that we've been on ever since then, uh, increasing number of abortions happening in our country. So there are a large number of states that have have taken action. Uh, Mississippi, one of them, uh, saying that states should have the the right to make these decisions in terms of uh, imposing their own laws with regard uh, to to these decisions. And uh, it's um, it's consequential, Bill, because we have a different makeup of the Supreme Court today than we did uh, in previous years. We have, of course, um, three justices named by President Trump. Uh, all of whom were strongly vetted by organizations, uh, many of them pro-life organizations. And so this could, uh, and and again, uh, we're still a long way from a decision, but this could uh, signal a different uh, tone that the court has taken from the past.
0: That's going to be something to pray about and to anticipate that decision. It's going to be an interesting one for sure. Lots of emotions on this one, isn't there?
1: Well, there sure are, Bill, and for for all of us who who cherish um, and, and and value life uh, mm-hmm. from from the beginning uh, all the way to the end, I think that it's uh, it's certainly something to pray for, and we pray for all of those uh, those those individuals who are preparing uh, to argue the case uh, before before the court. Um, and, uh, and, and these, uh, these decisions are not made lightly. The court turns away far more cases than it accepts. So uh, you know that uh, there had to be uh, at least four people on the court who made the decision uh, to hear this case. And, yes, it is already sparking um, uh, strong feelings on, on both sides of that debate. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no question about it. Uh, you can expect that uh, when a decision is handed down sometime in June, uh, it, will, um, uh, it, will, it will be a big one. Um so you know we um we will continue to follow it closely at the daily signal as we do all supreme court cases, but uh but bill uh definitely um definitely one to to keep an eye
0: on mm-hmm. Robert, are you having any trouble following what's coming out of the c d c regarding the new mask rules and the reopening? <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I I suspected you'd be asking me about this because I I think a lot of Americans probably have whiplash. It's They confusing. Uh, They they heard the CDC director testify before Congress uh, last week saying, uh, telling our lawmakers that masks were still needed. And then literally within, I think, what, 24, 48 hours, uh, having the exact opposite position. And so um, it seemed to catch everybody by surprise, even members of of, of President Biden's administration, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as our governors and other. Officials who had imposed these mass mandates. Of course, um, you know where, where I am here in Washington D.C. The mayor uh, has just decided to lift the mandate for those who are fully vaccinated, and uh, and uh, <laughs> no sooner did that happen that uh, that the Heritage Foundation and the Daily Signal decided to follow suit, and so um, you know that is uh, I think welcome news uh, for for. Individuals who who value that that freedom and decision making authority and don't want the government dictating uh, how how we live our lives, but but Bill, I, I think that it raises important questions. I heard the former Surgeon General out today suggesting that um, uh, this is Jerome Adams suggesting that if we're still going to the grocery store even with the mask mandate lifted, he would still advise us to wear a mask. So, you know, and he was doing it, I think, more from a comfort level position mm-hmm. than anything else. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's definitely confusing. I, I think that uh, and then, of course, it, we're having a debate in Congress where Nancy Pelosi still wants everybody to wear a mask on the floor. Republicans don't want to. So, you know, d- just a lot of confusion, I think, out there for the American people as to what what they should do.
0: Well, we're trying to ease our way out of this mask wearing, and I'm sure it's not going to be a uh, simple uh, one stop sort of deal. I'm seeing that uh, Dr. Fauci on May 4th said, we are in the bottom of the sixth inning with COVID. That's a quote. And then on May 13th, he said, we've got to make that transition. Put aside your mask. I feel very good about the decision and people need to get the feeling that we're approaching some form of normality. That's nine days apart.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's one of the reasons that I think a lot of people were were so so surprised by this. And and Bill, I have to just say, I mean, there, <laughs> there's no way to distinguish between a fully vaccinated person and and somebody who hasn't made the decision on their own not to get the vaccine. So I mean, and and I'm stridently against vaccine passports. I don't think Americans should have to show some sort of uh, card when they enter an establishment. Um, and so. Uh, frankly without a mask mandate i mean i i, I think just i don't know my own gut tells me that a lot of people are just going to go without the mask. And uh, and I still see people walking down the street in, in, in Washington, D.C. I still see, see them doing it. I think that if you feel more comfortable wearing a mask, I mean, nobody's going to tell you you have to take it off. But uh, but I, I think that from the very beginning, there were always questions about, you know, uh, how, how effective the masks were. I think that they were effective in some settings, probably not others. Uh, I always thought it was odd that they, they said that you had to wear them when you were you know outside running or participating in sports. I mean, it was just very difficult uh, to be able to 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 do so with a mask on. So um, but we find ourselves now in a situation where uh, cases are dropping uh, significantly, which is a good thing. Uh, and of course, uh, many of the most vulnerable Americans seem to uh, have have taken the vaccine, and so they're not facing the, the dire circumstances that that other people did. And that's a good thing. though. hopefully, we're coming out of COVID, and we can get back to normal. Uh, we even, Bill, we even have the teachers' unions, which were so <laughs> stridently opposed to sending teachers back to school, now uh, going on this PR offensive, uh, encouraging five days a week. So I mean, everybody is just flip-flopping
0: here all over the place (laughs) yeah maybe rob one of the other questions is are we ready to start seeing the bottom part of people's faces again
1: <laughs> yes, right. Uh, for the, I, I, I was in church on on Sunday, and our 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 church is um is we had a uh, limited in person worship this this past Sunday. Bill, you know I've talked to you about this oh, in yeah. the past, and how we even we even switched churches because we were so frustrated with with our old one that that was refusing to to have any sort of in person activities so we've been going outdoors in the cold at eight o'clock every <laughs> Sunday morning. Um, so and and my ki- my my kids are are about have about had it with getting up that early on Sunday. Uh, so they're looking forward to going to uh, the, the ten o'clock service nice. on uh, this coming Sunday. But I will tell you, we were we were joking because the men were saying, you know, those who have facial hair were saying, "Well, now I'm going to have to shave again." And the women were saying, "Well, I wasn't putting any makeup on the bottom half of my face." So <laughs> yes, big changes are coming uh, to to uh, as we do that. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it, I think that so much of society is just welcoming this this change. I saw some positive news in the sports world. There's going to be fans at Fenway nice. Park later this month, nice. like the stadium, uh, the, the New York City Marathon will take place on its date, albeit with uh, with fewer people this year. Hopefully I'll get to run my 15K later this year. So, you know, all of those things are are encouraging signs. And, uh, and, and I think it just is a testament. We can't forget here about what the American people did to make this happen uh, it was through, you know, the innovation and I give President Trump and Mike Pence, Vice President Pence credit for operational warp speed and and the things that they were able to do in the early stages to set us on this path.
0: Yeah. Well, the happy news here in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul is there are more fans that can now go to the Twins game. The sad news is you go to the Twins game, and it's really depressing because they're doing terrible <laughs>
1: That, yes, yes, that is, uh, that is always a circumstance and I can <laughs> I can identify with that as a long-suffering Pittsburgh Pirates fan. I know, so, I know, yeah. I know you
0: can, I know you can. All right, well, let's do an update on the gas shortage and some of the, the hacking that went went on. And I think it was the transportation secretary that said, you know, really the pipeline is still the best way to transport oil.
1: Well yes, I mean it it's uh it, and it's similar to the argument we were making earlier this year when one of his first actions when, as president uh Joe Biden decided to uh, put an end to the Keystone XL pipeline and we said look this is going to actually create um Bigger challenges, (laughs) uh, because it is an efficient way uh, for for gasoline and oil to flow. Uh, So basically what happened, Bill, is the Colonial Pipeline was was hacked. Uh, There were people operating um, from uh, using ransomware, basically demanding $5 million in order to uh, let the system come back online and, and provide the decryption tools that were necessary. Colonial Pipeline paid the $5 million ransom. And um, and it took a long time. It took several days for the decryption software to to run its course and for everything to to be back up and running. So um, there were disruptions, particularly in the, uh, the Mid-Atlantic and Southeast. I saw them myself. Uh, in fact, as I'm driving to work, I still see gas stations in Virginia that are, are without fuel. Mm. Um, I'm not seeing the lines that I was seeing a few days ago. But yes, it's caused, it certainly caused disruptions. And I think it just goes to show, and I think why you're hearing even some uh, Conservatives remind people that yes, it's it's great. We we as conservatives want to embrace clean energy and a cleaner environment. At the same time, we just have to recognize that it's difficult to flip that switch overnight. And we see what happens when we have gas shortages. I mean, people people start to panic and hoard, and uh, prices go up, and and nobody likes that scenario. So we need to do so in a in a way that's efficient.
0: Indeed. Rob Louie is my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion on what's going on in the nation's capital. Rob Blue is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Uh, Rob, just uh, when we were talking about baseball earlier, I was thinking, are your your boys playing baseball this summer? What are their plans?
1: well the the boys are, are are pretty active in sports but okay. uh, we're skipping baseball right now we are uh, they're swimming uh they are playing tennis nice. and they are also uh, golfing with dad <laughs> so <laughs> uh, you know uh, when organized sports uh, took that hiatus yeah. i mean our family was was impacted and we just never got back into it unfortunately so i still got the I've still got the daughter though she's a few years away yet from from playing but uh, my hopes are still alive that uh, I'll get to coach baseball or softball again in the future bill
0: <laughs> that'd, that'd be nice. All right, let's shift our attention to the Middle East. Uh, give us an update of what's going on with uh, the response that uh, the U.S. is giving Israel and Hamas.
1: Yes, uh, it's certainly. Well, we are seeing a lot of activity over the last few days between uh, the Israelis and and Hamas, uh, lots of rockets uh, being fired, and, and unfortunately, Bill, a lot of uh, lives uh, mm-hmm. being lost or are or, 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 uh, broken in in other cases, um, I think what you're seeing play out is um, uh, on on the left in America uh, a conflict. Uh, you have your traditional Democrats, those like Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, who have. Uh, in the past, been strong supporters of Israel and its right to defend itself, but you have an increasingly vocal wing of the Democratic Party that is uh, is speaking out and wants uh, the United States to take a different tack than than we have in the past. And so, I think that that's one aspect that's interesting to watch. Uh, the other is um, is what takes place at the, the UN, and we know that there are a lot of countries that um, uh, have it out for Israel and and want to use. Uh, a forum like the united nations to to try to um Block Israel's ability to to defend itself. So you know a number of of factors at play on the world stage, and then Israel itself. You know we've had these contentious elections uh, or or, uh, closely contested elections between Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, and his rivals, and so um, you know he's really operating right now at a time when uh, the internal politics of Israel are 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 pretty closely closely tied uh, between um, the different factions there. So. Uh, A number of scenarios to be on the lookout for. Uh, My prayers go out to all the people who who have been impacted um, by this. Uh, Obviously, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, civilian casualties are are at a minimum and and those who are, are, you know, taking part in these terrorist acts
0: are are held to account. Mm -hmm. What about the crisis on the border?
1: well the, it just does not seem to slow down bill and maybe it will as the weather gets warmer and and the conditions aren't you know nearly as um uh you know suitable for for travel but uh it, it is uh it, it is unlike anything we've ever seen in in the last few decades as we've been we've been tracking the numbers we um we've seen the number of uh, border crossings continue to increase. Uh, there's also a number of people who just simply get away and escape escape capture. Uh, and I think one of the most concerning parts is whether or not this – well, first of all, this administration refuses to call it a crisis. Um, and they've actually re- received the, the support and backing of several – notable news organizations, including the Associated Press and Politico, which have gone along with that and instructed their own news organizations not to call it a crisis. Now, I can't imagine something like this happening in a Trump administration or, or, or frankly, even any Democratic administration prior to, to, to the Biden administration. Their, uh, their ability to, to dictate uh, the terms of coverage has just been phenomenal. And to, I guess give them the credit for, for their ability to, to, to shift the media. But I don't think the American people, therefore, are getting the true story about what what's happening. And what it, what it ultimately means is I, I don't think a lot of um, the combination of increased border crossings and people being released into the United States and the fact that Immigration and Customs Enforcement isn't able to do its job of actually um, sending people back to their home countries means that a lot of the illegal immigrants who are here will ultimately end up staying here. And that has big implications for the future. There's no doubt about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, what is the... 1776 commission and are they coming back
1: yes well the 1776 commission was something that uh, president trump announced uh, last year as uh, as we saw in so many cases in our country uh, individuals taking matters into their own hands uh, trying to destroy historical monuments um, including Including monuments that had nothing to do with the Confederacy, by the way. Um, I mean, there was uh, right here in in Washington D.C. There was a debate over um, over you know a monument dedicated to Abraham Lincoln. So, uh, Bill, uh, you know, it is uh, it is just troubling to see uh, some of the ignorance that uh, that exists today about our own history. And so, President Trump formed this commission. To study uh, and and provide recommendations for how we could strengthen our uh, American civics education in this country. Unfortunately, it was one of the first things that uh, President Biden undid when he took office. He disbanded the commission, he removed the report from the White House website. Uh, Just so happens that a colleague of mine at the Heritage Foundation serves on the commission. And so the Daily Signal uh, had this scoop uh, today that the commission is coming back. They're going to continue to meet outside of. Uh, the White House's purview, that we'll just do so as an independent private commission and, uh, and continue to do the important work that I think needs to be done on this topic. We see in study after study that so many uh, students who are coming out of school today just don't have the basic foundation of, of American history or, or uh, a concept of how our, our d- democracy uh, was formed, our republic was formed. So, Bill, I think, um, you know, there's a role for parents here to play. There's probably a role for private organizations to play as well. And uh, and we, we can't rely on entirely on our schools uh, to, to do this work. But um, but one thing that we do know is that uh, it's going to have an impact on the next generation. I think we're already seeing this in this effort uh, to cancel people who have different different opinions. I mean, that's not uh, what our founders wanted. Uh, they wanted a robust debate, and that's why they put an emphasis on free speech.
0: Mm-hmm. And the 1776 Commission, w- one of their purposes of reconvening is to oppose teaching of critical race theory. Do I have that right?
1: The, that's right. Well, critical race theory, and, and I always like to uh, explain what it is because I think it's a relatively new term, but critical race theory is this understanding of this concept where everything about our culture and society comes down to race. And um, and, and and racism is embedded within American society, and we are all needing to uh, identify with our race first. Um, and I think that those of us who who Believe in the teachings of of Martin Luther King and and his approach that uh, we need to uh, judge people by the the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. Uh, I mean, those were things that I learned when I was growing up and was was, was taught to me. And I think, by the way, Bill, there, this doesn't just this transcends uh, politics. I mean, I, I believe these are the teachings of Jesus as well. Um, so I I think the critical race theory is. Um, uh, it it really presents some challenges for those of us who are Christians as well uh, to to think about it and what it means for for the future. And it's certainly troubling that uh, a lot of school districts are embracing it, a lot of government or agencies are embracing it. Um, Even today there's news out that uh, a Little League in uh, in Virginia, not one that I'm associated with, is mandating that its coaches – uh, take part in critical race theory trainings or anti-racist trainings. Now, I think that you know, obviously, coaches should not be showing any discriminatory behavior when they're when they're coaching a team. But I'm not necessarily sure that putting them through critical race theory, theory training is the best approach uh, for how to do that, because again, critical race theory, in some respects, is racist itself.
0: Yeah. What is their end game, Rob?
1: Well, I, I think they fundamentally want to transform what what are, what we know as the United States of okay. America uh, I mean critical race theory was developed by by two marxists uh, you know, who 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 had uh, certainly a motive to deconstruct our society and change the way we think about. Um, the freedoms that we were given to us by by our founders, and so I think that that's ultimately their end game. Bill, I mean, uh, some of this stuff doesn't surprise me. I went to a very liberal campus um, uh, when I went to college, and and I remember the joke in the politics department was that the, the the radical leftist or the radical democrat in the in in the in the department was actually the conservative because you had Marxists and socialists and all sorts of other people who were teaching there. And if this is what our what our you know the, the current generation of leaders or future leaders is. Learning, it shouldn't surprise us that uh, that they're embracing some of these concepts. And I think that's why it's so important that those of us who believe in the traditional values and the teachings of our Constitution uh, need to stand up and say, "Enough is enough. Uh, we're not going to to allow this to happen." And for those of us who can, um, you know use the opportunity to, to step up and, and speak to your school board and, uh, and, and make sure that uh, what's being taught to, to your kids in school uh, doesn't conflict with your own personal or religious beliefs.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, right, we just have 30 seconds left. It looks like the Garden of American Heroes project has been scrapped.
1: Well, that's a, it's another thing, you know, right alongside the 1776 Commission was this effort on the part of the Trump administration to recognize these heroes. And mm-hmm. again, I don't get it. I mean, I looked at the list of the heroes there and this was not a partisan list at all. I mean, there were many people on that list who spanned the political spectrum. And, you know, I, I don't understand why um, it's it's a problem to recognize those individuals who've had an impact on our country.
0: Yeah, good point. Rob, thanks for uh, being on the show today. I always look forward to talking to you. I appreciate you very much. Thanks, Bill. I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can always head over to dailysignal.com. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Mary Chung March is going to be joining me. We'll be right back. disturbing rise in anti-Asian hatred, racism, and violence, and Mary uh, Chung-March is the president of the Mosaic Commission for the Evangelical Covenant Church, as well as the president of the Covenant Asian Pastors Association for the Evangelical Covenant Church, and she's here today to talk to me about just that. Mary, welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so glad. I I just would love to hear your story. For starters, you know, a personal experience is always something so fascinating for me and for uh, my listeners.
2: Yeah, sure. I can tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I am Korean-American. I'm a daughter to two immigrant Korean pastors, and um, I grew up in New Jersey, and I have grown up with kind of anti-Asian sentiment throughout my life. Currently, I live in Minneapolis. Um, My husband and I have served for 12 years as co-league pastors, and now I'm working more on a denominational level. I think that I just want to make a point before I share a little bit about a personal story is the why I'm here and talking about this. Like what you're seeing across social media or just in general is actually personal and collective pain of the Asian American Pacific Islander community. It's just kind of brimming over and uh, breaking open and, and we're grieving. So it's not political or overly emotional, you know, sort of bent thing. It's, it's very personal. Um, I personally have no desire to prove a point or play victim or parse politics. And if you know me well enough, you know, that's pretty true. But as a parent and as a pastor, I'm actually driven deeply by the desire to protect my own children. My parents, my family, and to uphold God's truth of the Imago Dei over those I love and over those that He loves. So um, I think I just really want to, you know, put that out there. In the past year, there's been a lot of attacks. Um, I think we're now at six thousand six hundred oh attacks my. in the past year.
0: Oh my! Um,
2: Anti-Asian hate violence and and incidences and. Um, there's a point where you just can't be quiet about that anymore. Um, there's a point where you say, we've been made in the image of God. We belong. This is our country. Um, and I have called up my parents, and I've asked them, please don't leave the house. Um, I know that's hard, but, you know, just if you can, can you stay home? Because I'm not sure it's safe out there for you. Um And in terms of growing up, I have had things happen to me based purely on the fact that I'm Asian, told to go back to my country, um, I don't belong here, um, some physical acts. Um, Even my daughter when she was five here in Minnesota was um, kind of made fun of and terrorized because they saw me at the bus stop and they said, what is she? Meaning... What is that person over there? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's alive and well. It's not new. Um, it's just more people are talking about it perhaps now.
0: And the number of attacks that you mentioned, in excess of 6,000, I have seen some of them on the Internet, and unfortunately I can't unsee them. They are so horrific. Yeah. I yeah. saw an attack on an elderly man in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I was... I was just kind of shattered for a little while. I thought, I cannot believe what I just saw.
2: And for us, we see our parents. I see
0: exactly. People that you, your relatives, people you know and love.
2: There was an attack in Washington on a young Asian man who was 27 coming out of his apartment. He was stabbed before, you know, anti-Asian flares were named and you know, he was stabbed. My family, my cousins lived there around that city, in that city. So that hits home for me. Um, and I think for a good number of the Asian American Pacific Islander community, this is real. It's not new, but we're start, it's starting to be recorded, and we just realize we can't be quiet about it.
0: Mm-hmm. And the number of incidents that have really surged, even this year alone, is so troubling, Mary, that I start to think, what are we what are we learning or what should we learn or how do we go about making ourselves aware of this?
2: I think one thing to know is that there is history of this dating back to, you know, the 1800s. Asian Americans have been um, in the U.S. since the 16th century, but this kind of um, kind of anti-Asian sentiment has been around. It's kind of maybe baked in a little just to learn about it. There's a, documentary on PBS called Asian Americans. is just to know the history, even if you want to Google Asian American in America history, you'll, you'll see a lot of kind of, kind of what has kind of led up to this moment of maybe more so in the wake of coronavirus, like a permission to scapegoat or, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know, attack Asians, um, or tell them to go back to the country where, you know, there are Asian Americans here who have been here for six generations, but they are being told you don't belong here.
0: That, um, so, that's so troubling. I mean, I I I can't believe that people are shouting that kind of stuff out. And I was wondering if if the if the virus has had a, a greater impact on um, Asian racism and violence.
2: I would say a hundred percent. Okay, a hundred percent. And I think. Um, there is this element of where Asians are silent, I and mean, you know there can be that can be part of our culture too. It's there's so much shame that we even somehow allowed this to happen, even though we're not doing it to ourselves. It's being done to us. Um, but there in our history too is kind of a um, designation. Like we didn't give these names to ourselves, but we have been called Yellow apparel or perpetual foreigner, you know, uh, model minority, which is actually not a compliment, it's kind of a way of, uh, and also with Asian women, there's kind of objectifying of Asian women, right? So, um, these things have kind of been given to us, and um, it is coming out kind of in full force with permission, as coronavirus has kind of allowed um, violence to happen, it has encouraged violence to happen to Asian Americans. And, um, kind of, it, it's almost the, a feel like, oh, they'll take it, you know, they'll just be quiet and mm-hmm. take it. And that's, that's not okay. Cause we are fellow human beings made in the image of Christ. Like we belong, um, we don't deserve to be extinguished or ex- we're not expendable.
0: Um, yeah, I read in an article you wrote, Mary, and this was troubling and you, you said, During COVID-19, the uptick of senseless violence toward Asians because of xenophobia and scapegoating has reached a tipping point. Even medical professionals are caring for patients who swear at them and spit in their faces. And you personally know doctors who have experienced anti-Asian racism this year. Incredible.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I have friends, Um, even my mom, she was actually the only... Asian-American female nurse in the 1970s in New Jersey. And repeatedly she was told, go back to your country. Or um, even like, I thought Asians were quiet. I thought if we hit you on one side of the face, we could hit you on the other. I kid you not. That is what happened to my mom in the 1970s. So it's been around. And even though they are caring for people, they're they're experiencing the discrimination and the racism aimed at you know, Asians and this anti-Asian sentiment that is alive and well in 2021.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what the Bible has to say about all this. I mean, is it, I sometimes think, is it racism or is it just sin and hatred in a person's heart?
2: I think it could be both. Um, And I think it is both. I think baked into kind of our families and kind of even Asian American history, there's not a ton about it. I learned about Pearl Harbor and that's pretty much about it. And there's some positive things that Asian Americans have contributed to history. Um, but I, I think that this is not just an isolated incident of hate or someone like a bad apple. Um, it's perpetual and um, I mean, I believe there's like one degree of separation of People I know in the Asian American Pacific Islander community who have either experienced it themselves or one degree of separation, family or friend have experienced this. So it's not much recorded, but it is out there. Um, In terms of what the Bible says, I think the Bible says a whole bunch. And so um, I believe this is not just a popular thing to do. I believe it's a biblical thing to do. Mm-hmm. I think about 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-five to 26, it says, let there be no division in the body, but that it part, its parts should have equal concern for each other. So if one suffers, one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, then every part rejoiced, rejoices with it. And so how are we strengthening the parts of the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters in Christ, who are hurting and suffering? Because I really believe these things that are breaking our hearts are breaking God's heart, too. Um, Just a few other verses, I think about Ruth 116, where Ruth is saying, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. I believe this is how the gospel compels us to live, that your family, Bill, is my family. My family is your family. That we belong to each other in the family of God. Um, and I believe God has defined his family for us in scripture. Because if you think about Genesis 127, where God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them in the Imagua day to the very last in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, where you find in Revelation 7, 9, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they're wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hand. When we get there, we will be shoulder to shoulder. And if we're having a hard time being family here on earth, imagining, just imagine being next-door neighbors forever with people now. And if God asks us up there, were you family on earth like you here are now in heaven? We for sure Mm -hmm. our answer to be yes lord Mm -hmm. yes lord
0: listener jumped in and said that talking about mentioning pearl harbor and you think of vietnam as well and of course not saying it's right but saying that there's a lot of anti-asian anti-asian that came as a result of people's remembrance of the attack on pearl harbor and and in the vietnam war it's sin and hatred that's what he said he or she said
2: no, yeah, absolutely. And I'm not erasing that part of history, but you also have to recognize that there were Japanese American soldiers fighting in that war while their families at home. If you were 116th Japanese, you were put in internment camps. It was mass incarceration for Japanese or people who looked Asian and they could only take what they carried. 116th mm-hmm. Japanese were put oh. in camps.
0: That's amazing. So I'm
2: not erasing Pearl Harbor. I'm just saying Holby's intention that there's American history and right. the Asian American part of it is American history that comes alongside and you go, oh, that's hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think this listener was suggesting that we were doing that either. So I appreciate that, that comment. Uh, Mary, let me take a little break. Mary Chung March is my guest. We're talking about some, the anti-Asian hatred, race, racism, and violence. And uh, we'll be right back in just a minute. Chung March is my guest. She is the president of the Covenant Asian Pastors Association and also president of the Mosaic Commission for the Evangelical Covenant Church. She and her husband John are church planters and they planted a church, New City Covenant Church in Minneapolis for 12 years. And Mary, I'm curious, I know you're chair of the Mosaic Commission. Will you tell me more about what that is?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, the Mosaic Commission makes is made up of the ethnic associations of the Evangelical Covenant Church. So I am the president of the Covenant Asian Pastors Association. Um, we have an African-American Minister's Association, we have an Indigenous Minister's Association, and we have a Latino Minister's Association called ALIPE. And so the Mosaic Commission um, really mentors and helps and walks alongside our pastors and our congregations and church members in our ethnic association. And we also strategically partner with our denomination um, to kind of live into something called the Six-Fold Test. I don't know if um, you've probably not heard of it. I haven't. Uh, you haven't. It's it's a tool that the Evangelical Covenant Church uses to kind of live into the multi-ethnic, like, kingdom reality that is outlined for us in Revelation 7-9. And we um, do it around six Ps, around um, how are we living and moving forward and engaging with, one, diverse populations, two, with our participation in each other's lives, three, in sharing our voice and power, four, setting out to be pace-setting, five, meeting together a purposeful narrative, and six, practicing solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Christ.
0: That's really good. I appreciate those six points very much. All right, I know this is, this is what we've been talking about, but uh, just remind us all why it is important to be hearing about the anti-Asian hatred and violence, and how do we, how do we better listen to one another, and how do we engage in this discussion?
2: I think that's a great a great question. Um, I think it's important because as soon as you see fellow Asian American Pacific Islander Christians as brothers and sisters, it changes the conversation. Um, really, often in our culture, we can resort to otherizing each other because mm-hmm. it's easier. And it's also um, because we don't want to forsake our belonging. It's a very difficult thing to do.
0: Yeah, I'm going to ask you to to talk about the otherizing. I didn't want people to miss that. So explain what that is.
2: I think when we are not on site with one another, it's easier and simpler to dismiss... Um, uh, you know, uh, for for the sake of talking about Asian Americans, Asian Americans as being a certain way or their experience as a certain way, um, in in some ways, like dehumanizing the the their own experience, um, because either we're not on site, or we might be more like a bystander. We can see it, but we don't really know what it's like. Um, and I think we sometimes tend to go this way because if we lean in. And if we um, uh, stand with one another and stand in the gap for one another and treat each other like we're actually a family of God, sometimes it causes some friction in other areas of our life. Um, and I still believe the highest call on our life, our highest citizenship is in heaven the most important authority on my life is Scripture and God. So if my citizenship in heaven is the most important citizenship to me, it supersedes any other citizenship I have here on heaven. And my relationship with my fellow citizens or brothers and sisters in God's family matter a lot.
0: So um, I I love this idea of the solidarity. It's, it's great that we have Awareness that we need to obviously be connecting and, and loving all brothers and sisters in Christ and loving our enemies as well, but just to have this understanding of the amount of violence that's that's coming towards asian it's uh it's really kind of new information to me so i'm curious yeah. i'm curious mary uh I just want to tr- try to figure out how we can in our remaining time. Be proactive and positive. I mean, what what can I, my listeners do?
2: You know, one um, there's a YouTube video that a few Asian American Christian faith leaders put out, and it's called "If You Just Google Call for Solidarity." Um, there, it's it's a group of Christian Asian American Pacific Islander Christian leaders asking our brothers and sisters in Christ to resolve to not be silent and to stand and speak for AAPI lives and dignity um, to maybe speak up when you see something because silence is, it feels like agreement, Mm -hmm. you know, um, maybe learn the Asian American story or lament with us. Um, Think about ways, you know, one very simple question, because I've been asked a lot, what do I do? What do I do? And I usually tell people, go learn. Um, or you can answer this simple question. If the things that have been happening to the Asian American community, as our grandmas and grandpas have been walking the streets of their own neighborhoods, or um, our our children have been bullied at school, if these were your children and your grandparents and your parents, and they were being targeted, whether it was being hit, spat upon, uh, kicked, yelled at, or killed um, because of their fill-in-the-blank, your ethnicity, Mm -hmm. what would you do to make sure that didn't happen again?
0: Yeah, you put it that way, and you make it personal, and if it was grandma or grandpa was kicked in the face on the street in their own neighborhood, and somebody shoved them down, what would I do? I'd go a little nuts, I think. But I would certainly want to speak up, and I would certainly want to demand change. And I would definitely want uh, to be there for my family, for sure.
2: So, I think that's a great place to start. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So Mary, are there any uh, resources you can point us to? I know you suggested that PBS special that was uh, made. How do we get access to that?
2: You know, it's free right now. It's not always free. So okay. If you go I like free stuff. Google, <laughs> I do too, actually. Um, If you go into Google and you type in um, PBS documentary, Asian-Americans, it will pop right up and any, um, you know, whatever medium you use to watch TV, it it will be accessible. Um, Another really good thing to do is just kind of Google Asian-American history or, you know, top Asian-American heroes, you know, some, some way to learn more. I mean, if you Google it, you'll get so many resources um, and I think that would be a good place to start frequent Asian restaurants and, um, you know, either say thank you or, you know, get to know them or, you know, encourage them. Um, I think that those are two really good places yeah. to start. If you have Asian American friends, check in and say, how are you doing? And, you know, maybe they're doing fine or maybe, you know, sometimes I, you know, as a Korean American, sometimes like um, maybe I don't share everything with everyone <laughs> um, because, you know, I, I have to figure out, can I fully show up as my full Korean American self and be accepted? You know, there there is that piece there, but it's still good to check in on people and see how they're doing.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mary, we just have a minute left. I know this has been a challenging topic for many listeners who are hearing this who are probably suffering as well. Would you close us in a word of prayer?
2: Actually, I would love to. Thank you. Let's pray. God, we are your children. And Lord, as you see some of the pain and hurt that is right now in our world, Lord, we know that it breaks your heart like it breaks ours. Lord, you call us to be the hands and feet To show the watching world who you are by the way we live and by the way we love. So, Lord, despite ways that maybe we don't agree idea-wise or, you know, um, have divisions, Lord, would you knit us together somehow? Lord, allow us to be bridge builders, to stand in the gap for one another. Lord, I pray especially for those who are um, feeling the heaviness and the grief of that anti-Asian hate that's been going around. Lord, I pray that you would surround them, that you would heal their hearts and protect them, Lord. And Lord, that you would allow the church to rise up and to be that Revelation 7, 9, multi-ethnic kingdom reality of God here on earth as it will be in heaven. That Lord, when we say we are with you and we are gonna live into the solidarity, that we will stay with each other even when it gets hard. And Lord, we ask for your help by your holy spirit and we pray it all in the name of jesus
0: amen mary thank you so much for doing the show it's so nice to meet you and you're so incredibly polite on air which is lovely you always waited for me to make sure i was done speaking which is (laughs) very polite so thank you for being such a (laughs) wonderful guest and i i know that our listeners has have learned a lot today about this so i appreciate you coming on
2: Bill, thanks for having me. I very much appreciate
0: it. You bet. Mary Chung March has been my guest. We're going to take a little break. Hour two is just ahead. We're going to talk to David trout Lamb. his middle name is Trout, about the book of Judges. So that's going to be an exciting hour. We'll be right back.